But anyway, I've been talking about how to receive God's best. We talked about that there are two ways of receiving from God. One is by a miracle. The other is by a blessing. And most people didn't understand a clear distinction between the two. So I tried to make a distinction and show you differences between a blessing and a miracle. I talked about how a blessing is actually God's best. And blessings are controlled by natural and spiritual laws. There are things that you have to do to cooperate with the natural laws that God created and the spiritual laws that God created. And a lot of people don't like this because they just want to live their life completely contrary to the instructions of God. And then when they get in trouble, just pray for a miracle. And you know what? You can receive a miracle. It's happened to me. It's happened to nearly every person. But that is not God's best. God wants you to learn how to do things in the natural and in the spiritual so that you can cooperate with his laws. And then you're just so blessed that you never even have a crisis, that you are just blessed, blessed, blessed. And a blessing is actually much greater than a miracle. If you need a miracle, well, then get one. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't stay there. Go on into God's best. And this morning I was showing about Balaam how that the only thing that can overcome the blessing of God is your, your unbelief. God doesn't give the blessings based on your goodness or holiness. It's not based on whether or not you're doing everything right. It's just based on whether or not you truly believe God. There are some laws that you have to learn and tap into, but it's not based on your holiness. You'll never do everything correctly. And... Uh, you have to activate the blessing of God by speaking it. So anyway, I've already said a lot of powerful things. If you miss that, please get it. What I want to talk about tonight are what are some of the blessings of God? How do you, what is it that we're supposed to be receiving? And a lot of people, the scripture says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And I think a lot of Christians are perishing because they just don't know what God has really done for them. And sad to say, our mainstream religion today has watered down what Jesus has done. I believe, this is, I don't know all the reasons, but it's my opinion that the reason most churches don't really preach total victory is because that would put them on the spot. And then how do they deal with it when total victory doesn't come? And basically, most churches just go to a person when something doesn't work and say, well, it must not have been God's will. And they just blame it on God. But there are things that happen all the time that aren't God's will. It is not God's will for people not to be well. It is not God's will for you to be poor. It's not God's will for you to get a divorce. God doesn't will those things. He loves you if you've done those things, if you've had them happen to you. There is compassion from God. But God has ordained total victory for us. And a lot of people don't preach this because... How would they excuse their lack of victory? And so it's a lot easier just to say, you know what? I don't think God does those things anymore. God did this to teach you something, but that's not what the word of God teaches. So anyway, I believe God does want us to have total victory, but not very many people are preaching it. So a lot of people don't really know what our rights and privileges are, what the blessings are that God has spoken over us. And if you don't know that God wants you to have more, then you won't receive it. So I just want to point out a few of those things tonight. This verse that Jamie was singing tonight is a great place to start. The 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah 
is the prophecy about Jesus coming where he bore our sorrows, carried our griefs. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And so that's the 53rd chapter. The 54th chapter talks about the results of Jesus coming. Things that are for us, New Testament believers. These are prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. And it starts off by saying, Sing, O barren, that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. For thou, uh, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wives, saith the Lord. Now this could make application to physical barrenness because there are scriptures that talk about that that's part of what Jesus came to do is there won't be any barren among us or any that cast their young. But this is speaking in a spiritual sense. Those of us that just felt like a dud, like you never were special, like you just weren't, you just, you know, when, uh, when they chose people for the teams, you were always the last one chosen. When they were looking for people for promotion, you just weren't there. You were just like barren. It's just like you weren't productive like other people. He's saying now you can begin to rejoice because it's not based on what you've done. You've had a Savior come and He has purchased all of these things. And every person, every single Christian now can produce, not based on your own personality and individual talents, but based on your relationship to Jesus who paid it all for you. And it just goes on in the, in the second verse. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy states. This is talking about get ready for expansion. Man, things are going to happen. God is going to bless you. You got to start thinking big. You know, it would really bless you to get a tape series that I have out there. And I don't know what it's entitled. The one about uh, taking the limits off of God. I used to call it that, but I... Anyway, I used to have one called Don't Limit God. And then I got another one taking, saying taking the limits off God. And one is the update. And I don't know, remember which one came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't remember. But anyway, I got these series out there about not limiting God. God spoke these things to me. And I tell you, it revolutionized my life. I was limiting God by my small thinking. That happened January the 31st, 2002. And since then, our ministry has just exploded I mean, it's nearly so fast that we can't keep up with it. That was right after the September the 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. And did you know that every ministry that I'm aware of in this nation took a direct plunge in their finances because people were so captivated by the terrorist attacks and listening to the news and they got to giving towards people who had been devastated. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but I'm just saying that every ministry I'm aware of took a plunge. Many of them came close to closing their doors. Did you know it was right after that when the Lord showed me I'd limited him with my small thinking and our income began to double. It went contrary to every trend. And it was because I was limiting God by my small thinking. I was afraid of what people would say about me. I was enjoying the relative obscurity and I didn't like the criticism. I was afraid of what ministering to large number of people would do to me and if I'd lose my sensitivity in relationship with the Lord. And I had fears that were holding me back and keeping me from doing what God called me to do. And I just took the limits off. And man, God has exploded the ministry. Most every person in here has things like that that you're afraid of. 
You may not even be conscious of it. If you would have told me in December that I had fears that were limiting God, I would have said, you're crazy. We've doubled in the last two years. I started on television. We are stretching ourselves as far as we can go. But God spoke to me and revealed things that I was hindering him in. And anyway, this is what this is talking about. We need to understand that through God, there, the opportunities are limitless. Most of us are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. You need to go to believing for something big. You need to recognize God never made a piece of junk. God never made a failure. God never made anybody to limp through life. Every one of you have a supernatural plan for your life. And if you could really understand what Jesus did in the 53rd chapter, then the result should be that, boy, you ought to lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. You ought to get ready to break forth on the right hand and on the left because God wants to prosper you and bless you. And it just goes on and on. I'm going to have to skip some verses, but it just keeps talking about all of the wonderful benefits. You read through this, put your name in there and start speaking these things over you. And I might've been barren in the past. Maybe I got a divorce and I wasn't able to walk through that thing, but you know what, man, I'm over it now. I am the blessed of God. I might, my business might've failed once, but praise God, this business is blessed. And you go to speaking, you, you counter that barrenness. You start speaking blessings. You find these things and you start speaking the word of God over yourself. And down in uh, verse Nine, it says, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me. This is God speaking. <clears throat> and let me just explain that what he's talking about here. There were two types of covenant in the Bible. One type of covenant was, if you will do this, then I will do this. That's called, uh, well, I, I'm not even going to guess at that Hebrew word because I'm not sure about it. But anyway, there was two types of covenant. And one of them is, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Conditional covenant. But then there was an unconditional covenant, like the one that he made with Noah. He didn't tell Noah, he says, as long as your children never get into this bad state again, if they never get as vile as they are now, if they will do this and this and this, then I'll never destroy the earth with a flood. No, the covenant that God made with Noah was unconditional. No restrictions. He says, it doesn't matter what you do. I repent. I will never, ever, under any circumstances, never again destroy the earth with a flood. It's an unconditional covenant. This is what he's referring to. After Jesus came, because of what he's done, here is an unconditional covenant. It's like the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. Man, what a wonderful blessing. This is the spoken word of God. And all you've got to do is voice activate it and start speaking this to yourself. God will never, it's unconditional, be wroth with you. That means angry with you or rebuke you. Never, ever, never. There are some of you thinking, well, now, wait a minute. God has rebuked me lots of times. No, he hadn't. Now, the Lord will show you you're doing something wrong. Quit doing it. But it's always for corrective to help you and to bless you. God is never angry with you. 
Many of you have felt the anger of the Lord, but it's your own heart that's condemning you. And it's your own religious doctrine that's doing this. You hear people stand up in church all the time and say, man, I, I was supposed to do this and I didn't do it. And God just wouldn't let me go. God made me miserable. I couldn't stand it. And then they stand up and say, all right, I'm going to obey. And, I, and the, you know, they come kicking and dragging and screaming and they finally do what God told them to do. And everybody claps their hands. Man, you ought to be ashamed of a testimony like that. And it's not God that did that. God will never rebuke you or be angry with you. He loves you just as you are. But he loves you so much he won't leave you like you are. He'll tell you when you do something wrong. But it's never punishment. It's never anger. It's so that you won't be snared by the devil. And this feeling of guilt and punishment that you have is not God. I could spend all night on this. This is what 1 John chapter 3 talks about. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That shows you that your heart can condemn you when God isn't the source of it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn you. God is not angry with you. God isn't upset. Your feeling of displeasure your sense that, oh God, how could you ever use me? It's not God. That's your religious training. It's the Old Testament that has been taught you. And Satan is preying on a conscience that isn't renewed. And he's condemning you. And you are feeling condemned and rejection from God when there is none. Amen. God's not mad, mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. That's what this says. And some of you think, well, man, that's nearly too good to be true. That's the gospel. God's not mad at you. God's not disappointed with you. Some of you are thinking, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what Jesus has done. God's not mad at you. That doesn't mean he approves of everything you do, but God sees you in the spirit. He sees who you are in Christ. He sees you different than you see yourself. God's not angry with you. He will never be angry at you or rebuke you. In verse 10, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. You may not know this living in Houston, but I'm telling you the mountains are still there. I live on one. I got Pikes Peak right outside my window. It's still there. And until the mountains are gone and cast into the sea, even after they're gone, God's covenant of peace will never depart from us. As long as there are mountains, you have no right to ever say that God is angry at you, that God's upset with you and won't bless you and won't honor you. These are part of our covenant. This is part of the blessing that God has spoken over us. You need to take this. You need to start understanding it and voice activate it and speak it. That Father, you aren't angry at me. You know, when I first started seeing these truths, I was in the Baptist church and I love the Baptist. I'm not against Baptist. I was born again in a Baptist church. I'm not against Baptist at all. But they do not understand this. They teach that you are forgiven, but every time you sin, that you lose your fellowship 
or relationship with God. And until you grovel in the dirt and get back into right standing with God, he won't answer your prayers. He won't bless you. He won't fellowship with you because you aren't worthy. That is not true. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And God looks at you in the spirit and he sees you in the spirit. And when you get born again, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And in the spirit, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12, 15. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10, 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says, You have been sanctified and perfected forever in your spirit. Your spirit doesn't get contaminated. And since God is a spirit, he's not looking at your flesh and dealing with you based on the fact that you got angry on the way to church, that you failed to pray, that you failed to do this. He's looking at you in the spirit and God loves you just the same as if you had never sinned. That's what the word justified means. It means just as if I had never sinned. God doesn't get angry at you and mad and he doesn't punish you the way people think. And because I wasn't taught that, I was taught just the opposite. I was taught that I was forgiven. If I died, I'd go to heaven. But God was ticked off with me because I wasn't what I should be. And I had zero confidence and zero boldness. And I went around living a life of unworthiness. And when I first started seeing these scriptures, that God would never be angry with me. He would never rebuke me. Until the mountains depart, his covenant of peace was on me and his covenant of kindness. God isn't just tolerating me. He's kind towards me. God loves me. God carries my picture in his wallet. God has an eight by 10 of me on his mantle in heaven. And some of you think, well, you owe arrogant thing. No, that's humility to say that. That's humility. I'm saying what the word says about me. I don't feel like... I deserve that, but I'm seeing it in the word. And when I first saw this, you know what I did? I went and stood in front of a mirror and I looked myself eyeball to eyeball and I pointed my finger at me and I said, God is not angry at you. He will never rebuke you. He will never take his kindness away. You have a covenant of peace. You are loved by God. You are the blessed of the Lord. You know what I was doing? I was blessing myself. I was using my tongue to activate and speak about me what God said. And I used to look myself in the face and say that. And you know, when I first said it, all the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I remember stopping in the middle of it and saying, God, don't strike me dead. I'm just speaking what the word says. But I felt so unworthy. I know some of you feel that way when I talk this because you've been taught that God gives you what you deserve. You've been taught that you have to be worthy and that's not so. And it took a lot of renewing of my mind. But I tell you what, I just started speaking. I spoke over myself thousands and thousands of times. Looking myself eyeball to eyeball. God loves you. God's pleased with you. Even though I wasn't pleased with myself. God was pleased with me. The reason is God looks on the spirit and in the spirit, I'm awesome. In the spirit, you ought to see me in the spirit. I'm awesome. I'm identical to Jesus. As Jesus is, so am I. God sees me and you differently than you see yourself. And God is never angry with you. He'll never rebuke you. He'll always be kind to you, even when you're rotten to him. 
His covenant of peace will never leave you. Boy, you ought to take these and start with some of these things and go to speaking these blessings over you. You know, God's only blessed you in three areas. Spirit, soul, and body. That just about covers everything. In your spirit, you are the righteousness of God. All sins have been forgiven, even sins you haven't committed yet. I know some of you are just going tilt. You ought to, you ought to get some of the series I've got. Spirit, soul, and body would change your life if you could understand that. A teaching I have entitled Eternal Redemption. Boy, that, that teaches that all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins have already been forgiven. Sin isn't an issue between you and God. Sin is still an issue between you and the devil. If you commit sin, you give Satan an inroad into your life. And if you let him do that, he'll eat your lunch and pop the bag. Amen. (laughs) So you don't want to live in sin. I'm not encouraging sin, but I'm saying it doesn't affect God's attitude towards you. God sees you in the spirit. Boy, you need to learn these things. You need to get a teaching that I have entitled Hebrews Highlights that will summarize the book of Hebrews. It's powerful. He's blessed us in the spirit realm. Sin has been totally forgiven. In the spirit, you're identical to Jesus. You're ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, identical to Jesus. As Jesus is, so are you in this world, 1 John 4, 17. Not in the world to come, in this world. That's not talking about your actions. You aren't like Jesus in your actions. You might be better than you were, but you aren't like him. It's not talking about your emotions and your mental part. You may be closer to victory than you've ever been, but you still have to be changed. You aren't like Jesus. But in the spirit, your salvation is over. You're identical to Jesus. You're perfect in your spirit. Your little spirit's perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. You are as pure as Jesus is in the spirit. All sin has been forgiven. And the moment that sin was forgiven in Ephesians 1.13 says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Vacuum packed. Your spirit was vacuum packed. And when you sin as a Christian, you give Satan an inroad into your body. And that's what causes sickness and financial problems and stuff like that. You give Satan an inroad into your soul. That's what causes you to be depressed and discouraged and fearful and angry and bitter and on and on. But that sin doesn't penetrate the seal around your spirit. And your spirit is as pure and holy as the moment you got born again. As Jesus is, you are that way right now. A million years from tonight, your spirit's not going to be any holier or any better than it is right now. You are as holy as Jesus is in your spirit. And the rest of the Christian life is finding out what you've got and beginning to speak it and access God by the spirit. God is a spirit. And if you truly worship him, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just, this is the best way to do it. You get better results. This is the only way to worship him. The only way you can truly relate to God 
is spirit to spirit because your spirit has been transformed. And in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ. You have the faith of Christ. You have the anointing of Christ. You've already got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Your spirit's perfect. And all you got to do is renew your mind to what you have. At that, you got your three parts, spirit, soul, and body. If you get your soul in agreement with your with your spirit, that's two against one. Your body will just manifest the healing power of God. But if you get your soul over here in agreement with your body, then even though you've got the life of God in your spirit, not one drop will come out. You can die of cancer with resurrection power being inches away from where your cancer is. You can be depressed and discouraged and just thinking nobody loves me. And the whole time you've got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance in your spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Your spirit's perfect. You need to find out what you've got and go to speaking these blessings over you. They're voice activated. And when you go to speaking, you may have to get in front of a mirror like I did. Because it made me focus on it. It made me think what I was saying. I didn't just say it. I was focused on it. I was looking at myself, pointing at myself. You are righteous. God loves you. He doesn't dislike you. He'll never be angry at you. God's not embarrassed or ashamed of me. I get ashamed of me sometimes. But God's never embarrassed. He's not ashamed of me. Man, that's awesome. You go to speaking those things to yourself and I guarantee you it'll change your life. And then in the soulish realm, you no longer have any condemnation. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You ought to be free from any sense of guilt. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, it says that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we should have no more conscience of sin. You shouldn't even be sin conscious. And yet the average Christian is constantly pulling inventory. Every day, God, did I do more good than I did bad? God, every time you enter in, I was taught that every time you entered in to prayer, you had to mention all of your sins real quick. And if you'd mention them, God wouldn't. So I came before God. Oh God, we come before you so humbly today. I'm a sinner. God, I hadn't done everything. And I'd spend most of my time just talking about how sorry I was. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know that many of you do this same thing. But you know what? You shouldn't even have any conscience of sin. You shouldn't even be thinking about all this stuff. Some of you are thinking, if I did that, what would restrain me from living in sin? Well, first of all, you'd never do that unless you understood what has happened to you in the spirit Unless you got a revelation of what Jesus did and how you've been changed. And if you no longer are aware of sin because you're so focused on your acceptance as you think in your heart, that's the way you'd be. Proverbs 23, 7. And you would find out that if you were focused on how much God loves you and how you're in relationship with Him, you'd live holier accidentally than you ever did on purpose before. You being focused on sin and going around with this sense of unworthiness actually empowers sin in your life. The more you focus on your fat, the fatter you'll get. 
it just, it depresses you. It discourages you. And you get to thinking, man, I'm just an old fatty. I can't ever do anything right. And you get to condemning yourself. And then when the cheesecake comes in front of you, you say, well, this is who I am anyway. I might as well do it. (laughs) And you just give in like I did at lunch. Amen. But you know, when you get to thinking, I can do all things through Christ and man, I'm not going to let some food dictate to me. There you go. You know what? It changes things and you can begin to start being victorious over it. Most people, what, what is it that motivates you to mow your lawn? That's it. You know, it's easier to mow when it's not real high. It actually takes less effort. It looks better. It's better on your lawn more. But most people don't mow their lawn when it's optimum. You know what you do? You wait until, oh man, my wife is going to say something if I don't get out there and mow. My neighbors, they're going to think that we live in a junky place. I can't find my dog. Maybe it's in the yard. (laughs) Whatever. Most of us wait until there's something negative that motivates us to get out and do what's right. We're afraid of letting go of negative motivation. We do things right because we're afraid we'll be caught. But I'm telling you, fear, if that's your motivation, it has torment. 1 John 4, 18, fear has torment. And if you are serving God out of fear, then you haven't been made perfect in love. Love will motivate you to do more than fear ever motivated. And it has zero side effects with it. And basically religion is trying to get you to do what's right out of fear of rejection. If you don't pay your tithes, God's going to take it out in doctor bills. God won't bless you. You're cursed with the curse. Somebody says, well, that's a scripture. Malachi chapter three, verse eight, but it's an old Testament scripture. It's been fulfilled. If you're going to go by Malachi three, eight, use all of the verse. Malachi 3.8 doesn't just say that you've robbed him in tithes. It says you robbed him in tithes and in offerings. If you add up the offerings, the new moon offering, an offering every time you had a child, an offering every time you sinned, etc., it was at least 33% of your income. If you're going to live under Malachi 3 verse 8, and if you aren't going to be a hypocrite, unless you give 33%, you're cursed. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. And I'm not cursed, even if I don't give 33%. My wife and I give much more than 33% because love compels me to give. I give out of love, not out of debt, not out of fear that I'm going to be punished. In a sense, what a lot of churches are doing are getting you to serve the Godfather instead of God the Father. They're telling you, If you'll pay your tithes, then God will bless your business. But if you don't pay your tithes, your business is going to go in the toilet. Your marriage is going to fall apart. You'll be sick. There's not much difference between that and Guido coming around and say, I'll break your legs. Amen. I'll burn your business. And that's what the church is preaching by and large. And you know why they do it? Because everybody understands fear. Everybody understands if I don't do this, God's going to get me. And so, man, just 
preach that you got to pay your tithes or God's going to curse you. God's going to do this. But that's not true. It's not true. If you let people know how much God loves them and what he's truly done for them, they'll give everything. I've literally had people come and get born again and receive such a relief when they realize that God loved them and forgave them. I've had people sign their entire paychecks over to me. And I've had to go back and tell them, look, God doesn't want your whole paycheck. Just give a portion. But I've seen people get so touched by God, they'll give God everything. They'll give more than what they need to give. Law will cause you to give only what you have to give. And I tell you, that's the attitude of most people. But once you understand how much God loves you, once you understand he'll never be angry with you, he'll never rebuke you, all of these things, you'll wind up giving up bubble gum if you thought that that would please God. You'll just give everything. God, is there anything else I can do for you? Lord, is there something else you'd like of me? Love will cause you to serve God a million times stronger than fear ever will. But you know what? You can preach wrath and even get the lost people to give 10%. It's true. You can preach condemnation and even make carnal Christians give. But you go to preaching, just give, like it says in um, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That's after two chapters of talking about finances. I used a bunch of those scriptures tonight. And he sums it all up by thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. You just give to God because you love him so much. You know what? Only people that love God will respond to that. And carnal ministers are afraid to turn you loose with only the Holy Ghost convicting you. And so they're going to manipulate you and condemn you and tell about the Godfather. He's going to come break your knees if you don't pay your tithes. Amen or oh me. I tell you, if you truly understood the gospel, you ought to take these scriptures that he'll never be angry. He'll never be wroth. You are blessed. There's no condemnation. I shouldn't even have any conscience of sin. That I have love, joy, and peace. Let the peace of God keep your minds. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. Isaiah 26, 3. And on and on and on, all of the scriptures go. Go find the scriptures about your emotions, your soulish realm, how much God loves you and minister these things and speak it to yourself. It's voice activated. And then in the physical body, we've been healed of all sickness, all disease. We have all of our needs supplied according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever we set our hand unto will prosper there will be no, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Are you still in Isaiah 54? Look down at the last verse. It says, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. No weapon no weapon. That includes recession. That includes cancer. That includes ALS. That includes AIDS. That includes anything you want to mention. That includes the stock market crash. Did you know since the stock market went down 
50 something percent in 2008. Jamie and I have a little bit of money from an inheritance of her father's death and we invested it in the stock market. And since the stock market went down 50%, we've made 61% profit. Some of you think you can't do that. That's because you don't, you don't know what you've got. You don't know how blessed you are. We limit God and think he can only do maybe one percentage bit percent better than the stock market's doing. Man, we are just selling ourselves way short. You need to go to speaking the word of God over yourself. No weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper. I don't care what happens. I'm going to prosper. I'm like a cork. You can take me to the bottom of the lake and I shall rise again. Amen. I don't care what you do to me. I will prosper. I am going to be blessed. You know, there are many of you that aren't on board with us and our vision, and that's fine because not everybody's called to be a part of it. But there are many of you that when I talk about a 30 or $40 million building project to raise up a Bible college that's going to change the world, many of you are looking at us, and that's nearly double our monthly income, and you're thinking it can't be done. And you aren't on board, and you're skeptical. But you just hide and watch. You give me three or four years and someday I'll have that thing done. And I want you to remember this night that when it looked impossible, it's going to come to pass. You hide and watch. It will happen. And after you see all of this happen, then you'll say, well, I want to get in on that. But you know what? The stock market's already risen. You missed your chance. Amen. You got to do it when it's faith, not when it's sight. And there are people that just can't believe all of these things. But man, I can believe it. I'm blessed. You hide and watch. We will see these things come to pass. We are impacting the world. We're changing the body of Christ impression about God and the goodness of God. And we're having students going out. And we're going to have students that will do more than I've ever done and reach more people than I've ever reached. And it's going to make a huge impact on the body of Christ. Some of you think, man, you're just a little strange. Well, you just hide and watch. It's going to come to pass. Let's turn over to Psalms chapter 91. You know, the whole Bible are full of God's blessings. And all you got to do is recognize that God cannot lie. That when God says it, it becomes a contract. The whole world, the universe is held together by the integrity and the power of his word. And so when he says it, it's got life in it. It's got power in it. And all you got to do is mix your faith with it and speak it. And the whole world, whole Bible's like this. And I'm just pointing out a very few of the blessings that God has spoken over us. Man, you, you just need to get materials. You need to study the word and start plumbing the depths of this because there is no depth. There is no bottom to the blessings that God has given you. If you really knew what God had given you, it would just, it would be overwhelm us. It's like trying to drink from Niagara Falls. There's just no way. There's no way that you can contain it. it, it is, it's just overwhelming. We haven't even touched the hem of the garment. But here's a few things 
said in Psalms chapter 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. You know, we're going to go through this chapter and show you some of the wonderful things that God has provided for us that all you got to do is mix your faith with it and begin to speak it. But notice in this second verse, he says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Everything here, all of these wonderful promises are voice activated. If you don't say it, it doesn't come to pass. You, a blessing is always spoken God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The blessing of God is his favor, but it always has to be spoken. You can't get these promises just by reading it and sitting there and feeling a little bit of satisfaction and joy. You have to start speaking these things. This says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Start speaking this. Say, I dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. Man, His blessing is overshadowing me. You need to speak these things. They don't come to pass if you don't speak them, if you don't believe them. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you are speaking is what you really believe. And most of us are saying, man, nothing works for me. I've got so many problems, I don't know what's wrong with me. That's what most of us are speaking. We're speaking our fears and doubt. And by doing that, we're releasing death. You need to turn it around and go to speaking these blessings. You need to say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Most people say, well, I wouldn't dare say that until I totally trust in Him. Then you'll never totally trust in Him. You got to speak yourself into this. You got to bridle your body with your tongue is what it says in James chapter three. We put a bit in a horse's mouth and turn about his whole body. Likewise, the tongue is a small member, but it turns about your entire body. I don't know how many of you have ever had horses, but man, I've had horses most of my life and you put a bit in their mouth. A horse can't do anything without his mouth. A horse cannot run that direction with his head turned this direction. It's physically impossible. So if the horse is fighting your bit, if there's, if there's what's called smooth mouth, and if they aren't responding to the bit, you probably ought to get a harsher bit. But if nothing else, take that rein and turn his head to one side. And I can guarantee you a horse cannot run away with you that direction with his head turned to one side. You turn his head to one side and he'll go in a circle and he'll stop. A horse cannot rear up unless he throws his head up first. So put a tie down on him and you'll never have a horse rear up on you. A horse cannot get down and roll and get you off until he puts his head down first. Now he could fall, but I'm talking about on, of his own free will. A horse can't get down and roll until he puts his head down. So if you'll keep his head in a position and not let him put his head down, a horse will never get down and roll with you. You can control a horse 100% by that bit in their mouth. And the Bible says in James 3 that it's just like that with your tongue. Your tongue can turn about your entire body. You can control your body. You can tell your body what you want it to do. You can speak over your body. You can go to saying, I am healthy and whole. 
I am not sick. Body, you respond to me. I refuse to let you respond to what that doctor said. You respond to me. You are healed in the name of Jesus. And you start speaking over it. And your body will respond to you. Some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. (laughs) I've been healthy for 43 years. Only one time did I get sick. And that's because of stupidity, not, not anything else. One time sick in 43 years. Some of you think you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because I'm doing it. I'm speaking the word over myself and it's working. Amen. The next verse says, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Man, I could spend all night talking about that, but it's just basically talking about the devil is going about seeking whom he may devour. He set traps from you. But if you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, which is talking about having intimacy, relationship with God, which comes as a result of understanding that you've been completely forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. In your spirit, you're identical to Him. He's not imputing your sins unto you. He's not looking at you on the outside. He's looking at you in the spirit. And if you could ever understand that and just access this place of intimacy by faith, then God will deliver you from every trap that the devil has set for you. Boy, how important is this? The devil can't just devour everybody. If it was just totally up to the devil, every one of us in here would be paralyzed. Every one of us would be dying. Every one of us would be poor. Every one of us would be bitter. But Satan can't devour everybody. He has to set a trap and we have to go for the bait. And you know what will stop that relationship with God? If you understand what you've got and if you stand there by faith and stand in the grace of God instead of in performance, instead of getting under condemnation and running from God and feeling like how could God ever answer my prayer? If you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, He'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. You won't have all of these things happen. We live in a fallen world and so I believe that you will have bad things happen even to good people. This isn't saying that if you do everything right, you'll never have a problem because other people will give you problems. You'll have problems just because you live in a fallen world. But you know what? I bet you over 90, maybe 95% of all of the problems we have could be avoided if we just dwell in relationship with God. It says in John chapter 16 and verse 13 that the Holy Spirit will show us things to come. The Holy Spirit would show you whether this is the right decision or that is the right decision. But most people go through life like a blind man or with somebody with with a blindfold on just kind of stumbling along. And then when you fall off the cliff in midair, oh God, save me. If you'll allow it, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come so that you can see that you're about to fall off a cliff, that you're about to step into a snare. Most of the problems that we have could be avoided if we would follow the leadership of God. Man, that's an awesome statement right here. If we're dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty, if we are saying He is my refuge and my fortress then he'll keep you from being trapped by the devil. He'll keep the devil from doing these things to you. In verse four, he shall cover thee with his feathers 
And under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. This is a picture of a mother hen, like when rain or hail comes and the hen puts its wings out and the little chickens get under there and it covers it and protects it. You'll be protected by God. God will supernaturally protect you from things that are hurting other people. You'll live a blessed life. But you have to say this. You have to believe it. You have to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. It says His truth shall be your shield and buckler. What is truth? John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. His truth shall be thy shield. A shield is what you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked with. And buckler is talking about the belt that you gird yourself with, that you have all of your tools of war hanging on and things like this. Truth is what gives you a protection and an offensive weapon. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is your offensive weapon. His truth, the Word, will be your shield and your buckler. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can't quicken to you what you don't know. Most of us don't know the Word of God. Many of you tonight, or if you've been here all week long, have heard me say things. I didn't get a single thing that I didn't get from the Word of God. And yet many of you have heard me say things that are just radically different than what you've been taught. You need to go to the Word of God and find out for yourself. You need to study the Word of God. In verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that walketh at noonday. This says we should not be afraid. And you could just amplify on this all throughout the word. I've heard that there's 365 scriptures that says fear not. One for every day of the year. There are people in here who are afraid of heights. And you just embrace this. You know what? You don't need to be afraid of heights. Don't be stupid. Don't go jump off of a skyscraper. But you don't have to be afraid of heights. You don't have to be paralyzed of heights. There are people in here that are afraid of stuff. I've had people come up before that are afraid to touch people. It's like that uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, like monk on television. And I prayed with a woman one time and just couldn't touch carpet. She couldn't shake people's hands. She couldn't do anything. I prayed with her and then I got her down on her knees and had her rub her hands all through the carpet. There's some of you that think, well, those are just quirks. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fear. Fear is deadly. Fear has torment. And if you're living in fear of anything, now I'm not saying there's some things you shouldn't, you shouldn't go up and put your hand on a hot stove, but you don't have to be afraid of it. Fear is not the right thing. You don't need to fear anything. And yet there are people in here that have embraced fear. You make jokes about it and it's become part of your life. You ought to get delivered from fear and you're going to have to start speaking your freedom from fear and then you're going to have to act on it. There are many of us in here afraid of what people have to say. We have to have the validation of people. There are some of you in here that are 40, 50, 60 years old that you still are afraid that if God told you to go to a foreign land, what your parents would say. You need to get delivered of that. 
There's some of you afraid of what your children would say. Afraid of what your grandchildren would say. Now, if you love them and want to come, you know, bring them into the decision, that's a different thing. But I'm saying you shouldn't make your decisions based on what's everybody going to think about me. It's bondage. The fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs chapter 29, I think it's verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. This says he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. One of the ways that Satan snares you is public opinion. What's everybody going to think? Man, I could stay on that for two or three weeks. You need to go to speaking that you're free from fear. You ought to be, you ought to be free of fear of animals. Fear of spiders. Doesn't mean you have to like them. But you don't need to be terrified. You don't need to scream and panic. My sister-in-law used to have such a fear of snakes that one time in high school, kids knew this, and she was at a library table, and she turned around to talk to somebody, and they put a magazine on top of her magazine that had a double-page picture of a rattlesnake coiled, ready to strike. And when she turned around, she put her hand on that picture and screamed, stood up, and passed out. That's fear. You don't need that fear. Anyway, we could just stay on each one of these things for a lifetime. Most people tolerate things that they don't have to have. You need to find out that you're blessed. You don't need to be afraid of anything. You can do anything that God wants you to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. That's the attitude that you ought to have. And the pestilence that walketh in darkness... How many, I don't want you to raise your hand. This is a question I want you to answer in your heart. But how many of you, when they got to talking about the flu last season and a pandemic, how many of you freaked out and started doing all of these things and taking all of the precautions? There's people sitting right here in this room that I can guarantee you did that. There's people that just are paranoid when they say that it's flu season, you got to go get your flu shot. Did you know they, they said that this flu last year was a pandemic. That means a worldwide epidemic. And there were actually less people that had the flu during 2009-2010 year than there is during a typical year. It was a lie. It was a hype. Some people think, well, they were just being cautious. And it's because we were so cautious that it didn't happen. No, it's because they just missed it. It's just like in 2007, I was in Scotland when the bird flu or the avian flu came out. And you could drive down the highways in England and Scotland and see smoke rising up where they had taken hundreds of chickens and piled them high and burned. I was over there when they did the same thing with mad cow disease. And they were killing cows by the thousands. And you could see piles as high as this ceiling of animals. And they were burning them and killing them. And I remember I was in Scotland when the leading expert in Britain was interviewed. And they said, is this going to turn into a pandemic? And he said, it's no question. He says, there's no question about if it'll happen. It's just a matter of when. He said, it might be one year or it might be two years at the most, but I can guarantee that one third of the world population will die through avian flu. 
And two years to the day later, I was back in Scotland. I read in a USA Today that after two years, there had been a total of 12 deaths worldwide through the avian flu. And yet I can guarantee you there's lots of Christians that got afraid. And people think, well, it was just precaution. It was, no, that's not how it worked. Here's another thing that maybe applies to you. How many of you, some of you probably weren't born again or seeking the Lord back then, but how many of you remember Y2K? Oh, yeah. <laughs> People were selling their homes, moving out into the country so they could get away. They were buying a year's supply of food and generators. David worked for Sears at that time. And I forget the figure, but Sears sold an abnormal and ungodly amount of generators and stuff like this. And you know what? It wasn't the unbelievers. The unbelievers didn't even make a deal out of Y2K. It was the Christians that pushed the panic button, that spent thousands of dollars on things that they didn't need. There was one of my friends in Chicago that sold six months supply of food and weapons so that you could kill people in the name of the Lord when they came to get your food. There were people predicting that this was the beginning of the tribulation. There are many of you in here that fell for this thing. And some of you are saying, well, it was just precaution. No, it's not. You can't operate in fear for two years and feed that fear. And then on January the 2nd, 2000, just turn it off and say, oh, well, it was just a precaution. I'll use this generator somewhere. You might've been able to get rid of the assets that you had bought, but you can't nurture fear for two years and just switch it off. Christians gave in to fear. And if they would have been walking in the blessings of the Lord, they'd have been saying, man, there's no pestilence that's going to come nigh my dwelling. God's going to meet all of my needs. The way to respond to something like that, if it did happen, is to give, not to hoard. Amen. I know some of you feel like I'm meddling. And I'm just trying to point out that this is why we aren't seeing these things happen. is because we bought into this world. Most of you spend more time in the light of your TV than you do in the light of God's Word. And that's the reason that we have these fears and these phobias and these problems. In verse 7 it says, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. But it, the plague, the pestilence, shall not come nigh thee. It, the flu, avian flu, Hong Kong flu, whatever flu, shall not come nigh me. There are many of you, I just don't believe you can do that. Well, don't worry, you'll get what you believe. But I'll get what I believe too. It will not come by me. Only with my eyes shall I behold and see the reward of the wicked. Did you know that there is very little difference between most Christians and most non-Christians? You could take a Christian and a non-Christian, have them live side by side. They get the same sicknesses. They have the same fears. They get upset by the same things. They buy the same Stuff out of fear that something's going to happen. They respond the same way. 
This says that there ought to be a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Only with your eyes should you see what the unbelievers are partaking of. In Jesus' day, they came and broke a hole in the roof because they knew that, man, people got healed. They could tell a difference. You go to most churches today, if a person walked into most churches and says, I'm here to be healed, you know what the average pastor would say? Have you been to the doctor? Have you tried this? This is what I use for my rheumatism. Why don't you try this? If you had an emotional problem, the average pastor would say, well, have you been to a psychiatrist? Have you tried taking drugs for this depression? If you have a financial problems, well, why don't you go to this government agency and see if they can help you? It's a shame where the body of Christ is. We ought to be well. We ought to be prosperous. We ought to be healthy. We ought to be happy. We ought to be what the world isn't. And there ought to be a difference. We're alive and they're dead. You ought to be able to tell the difference between a live person and a dead person. Only with our eyes should we behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high of thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. That's not just my house. Right now, I'm dwelling right here. No plague comes near me. I gave that illustration of John G. Lake touching the, the plague and instantly all of the plague germs died. That's not just for John G. Lake. That's for any Christian who will believe this. This is what it says. No plague will come nigh my dwelling. If you'll believe it and activate it by your voice and go to saying of the Lord, he is my refuge. No plague is coming nigh my dwelling. It'll start working for you once you convince yourself that you've now started telling the truth and you mean what you say. It takes time to do this, but you can get to where you say the word of God and it'll work for you. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. The Bible says in, I think it's Hebrews chapter 13, that many, not some, not a few, many have entertained angels unawares. Many. It says in Hebrews 1.14 that all of the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be Heirs of salvation, not just those who are, but those who shall be. Even before you got born again, angels ministered and kept you alive because God knew that someday you'd accept him. The truth is angels are, have charge over us so that nothing comes nigh our dwelling. They'll protect us. You know, Jamie and I, were back during our poverty days, we're driving a car that had virtually no brakes. It took about four to five times as far to stop as normal. And we were driving to a Bible study going 60 miles an hour, and uh, we passed a feedlot, and there must have been 100 cows out on the road. And we came over a hill 60 miles an hour, and there was 100 cows in front of us. And I just went, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> But praise God, Jamie said, Jesus. 
And immediately we were on the other side of those cows. And we looked back and they didn't part. They were still covering the road. We just were translated to the other side of those cows. We don't know how it happened, but it happened. I've, I've been saved so many times. I was sitting around with a group of preachers in Florida one time. And they were talking about times that they nearly died and God saved their life. And I had four times as many stories as the four of them put together. I've had God save my bacon so many times. Scripture says the Lord preserves the simple. Man, I qualify. God preserves me. Thank you, Jesus. In verse 13, it says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underfoot. That's talking about the devil. If you want to write the devil a message, write it on the bottom of your shoe. Amen. Tread on him. Walk on him. Instead of being under his oppression, he should be under your foot. Amen. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. If you aren't satisfied, just go for another lap. Because he said he'd satisfy you with long life. My mother lived to be 96 in the last year. She told me, she said, don't you pray for me. I don't want to be healed. I'm ready to go. And every time I'd call her or see her, she says, are you praying that I'll die? And I said, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. She, every time I'd come to see her, she says, don't you leave without praying that I'd die. She was ready to go. (laughs) She was satisfied. She said the worst part of being 96 is that every person she knew was dead. (laughs) You know what? I don't want to live forever. Man, there's something better. God will satisfy you. You don't have to live or die an early death. You know, I meant to go through this a lot quicker than what I did. Let me just, I'm going to do this real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Here's just a few more blessings. And I'm just going to read through these with minimal comment. How many believe that? (laughs) My wife is giving me the evil eye over here. Deuteronomy 28, one and two, it says all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you hearken diligently. Most people say, well, that's the problem. I'm not hearkened diligently. Notice it says in verse 1, it says, well, let me read it. It says, it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command you this day. Some people will preach, see, you got to do all of these things. You got to keep those, all of these commandments if you want the blessings to come upon you. So there's some people that say, well, I know God wants to bless me, but I just don't qualify. I'm not worthy. But this was the Old Testament. I hadn't got time to explain it in its entirety. But under the New Covenant, here's the way the New Testament believer reads this. It is coming to pass 
upon me because of what Jesus did and because I accepted him as my savior and he hearkened diligently and observed all of the things. Therefore, all of these blessings are coming upon me and overtaking me. That's the way the New Testament believers should read this. And here are some of the blessings in verse three. Blessed shalt thou be in the city. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shalt thou, shall be thy basket and thy store. That's talking about not only your wallet, but you have to have a savings account. This is talking about prosperity. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in. Blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. That just about covers all the time. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee. If you've been here and listened to what I've been saying about the power of a blessing, God will command it. When he speaks it, everything he says is life-giving and it's a contract, but he will command it. Well, when God gives a command, it's going to come to pass. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses. You know, there's a man over here, Al Jandel in Alvin, Texas. Some of you know him. And he has a book on the storehouse principle. And he was reading this verse. And he says, how can God bless my storehouse if I don't have one? And he was struggling and he was very poor, but he took a dollar, I think, and opened up a savings account because he says a hundred times one is a hundred. And so he put, he started just putting like a dollar a week in this storehouse, in his savings account. And within a short period of time, he now has, I don't even know, 120 acres, all of his buildings. He's got an amusement park, a Christian area and everything, and everything he owns is debt free. The man has had millions and millions and millions of dollars come in because he believed that God would command the blessing on his storehouse. So you've got to get a storehouse. Amen. If you don't have a savings account, get one because God has already commanded a blessing on it and that blessing is useless if you don't have a storehouse. Boy, some of you are looking at me strange. In verse 9, the Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep his commandments, the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk as in his ways. And again, this has now been fulfilled through Jesus. Through Jesus, we get this, even though we don't do everything we should. In verse 10, and all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of thee. Brothers and sisters, people ought to look at you and say, you're one of those believers. But most of us have a fear of man, a fear of rejection. And you know what? We try and blend in. There are many of you that people that you work with don't know what you really believe. They don't know that you really believe in a full gospel, in speaking in tongues. That might get you kicked out of some of your churches. I don't believe in being obnoxious or rude, but I certainly believe in being myself. I guarantee you, I'm not around people very long until they know what I believe. We need to get rid of that fear of men. And all people of the earth shall see that we are called by the name of the Lord. Not just hear it by our words, 
But they'll see the blessings of God. They'll see that when everybody else takes off for sickness, you never take a sick day. They'll see that you're blessed even when everybody else is being laid off. Why is it that you got, why is it that you stayed? You had less seniority than I did. Why is it that you aren't afraid of the flu? Why is it that you aren't worried about all of the things going on in our nation? Why aren't you afraid? They'll see. And you know what? You ought to stand out like a heel thumb. That's what this is saying. In verse 11, the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only and shalt not be beneath. If thou thou hearken unto the commandment of the Lord thy God. That all now is ours through Jesus. And then in verse 15 through 68, it begins to give the curses if you don't live up to this. And because of Galatians 3.13, anything that was a curse under the law, we've been redeemed from. So you can turn over and read all of the curses. And if it says that this is a curse that is coming from God against people for disobedience, now you can say, thank God, Jesus redeemed me from this curse. And now curse, you cannot come. You know what one of the curses in here is? It's blasting. You know what blasting is? I'm not sure of the exact verse. Anybody see that? Here it is, blasting is in verse 22. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption, with a fever. If you've got a fever, that's a curse. Through Jesus, we've been redeemed. You, you, redeemed. you can say curse. Fever, you're a curse. I'm not having you because I'm now, this has been turned into a blessing. Or with an inflammation. If you've got any inflammation, arthritis, gout, anything that's infected, you're redeemed from that. With an extreme burning, if you have any burning, you're redeemed from that. And with the sword and with blasting. You know what blasting is? That's the old English word for a damaging high wind. Such as Katrina. You know, you can rebuke those things. You can bind those things. I've had people, we've had people that are partners with us and we call them when a hurricane is coming and we pray with them and we have had people that every house around them is destroyed and their house stands. Their trees stand. Some of you think, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. (laughs) And look at this. It says that mildew is a curse. You know, Jamie and I had a house in Seagaville, Texas that didn't have any insulation in the walls. And so when we heated it in the winter, it was warm inside and it hit the cold air and it just sweated. And in the closets especially, you, there was just water trickling down the wall all of the time. And there was mildew. It was a rent house. We got in there and we read this and said, mildew, you're a curse. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And every day for a week, I went in and read Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 22 and Galatians 3.13 to that mildew and said, get off my walls. I'm blessed. And it left. 
Amen. Some of you think, oh, I can't believe that. Oh, you'd never believe this one then about that. There were these three guys who were commanded to bow down and worship an image. And if they didn't, they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And they refused to do it. And they got bound and tied and thrown into a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than it had ever been. And their bonds came off, but they weren't burnt. They didn't even have a smell of smoke on them. Somebody, I don't believe that one. You can read that one in the book of Daniel. On and on. Man, if you don't believe these things, that's the problem is you aren't a believer. Well, these are powerful. Go through and then over in verse 60. Let me see. It's verse 65. I think it is. It's verse 60 something. Verse 63, and it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and you shall be plucked up. That's not it, but the Lord shall scatter you. And anyway, somewhere right here, it says every sickness. Verse 61, also every sickness. And every plague which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. Those are curses. And we've been redeemed from this. So it doesn't matter if it's named in here or not. If it's AIDS, if it's whatever, if there is a modern thing that comes out that isn't recorded in the Bible, then this verse fits it. And it's a curse. And I've been redeemed from the curse. So I can speak to AIDS. I can speak to anything and say, you get away from me. You cannot come nigh my dwelling because I am blessed and not cursed. I'm the head and not the tail. And on and on and on they go. Thousands and thousands and thousands of blessings that God has given us that are laying there unclaimed. That's like people that have money deposited in your bank account and you never withdraw it. Don't even know that it's there. And you live a pauper's life, not knowing what you've got. Brothers and sisters, if you're born again, spirit filled, you've got everything that it takes to be an absolute conqueror. And if you're being conquered, God loves you. He's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm telling you, it's your fault. It's not that God hasn't provided it. It's that you haven't claimed it. You haven't received it. You haven't understood the power of a blessing. You're just doing your own thing, not cooperating with the natural and the spiritual laws and letting Satan run roughshod over you and praying for a miracle. And you just survive by miracle to miracle. There's a better way. And that's to find out what's yours. Cooperate with the natural, the spiritual laws. It's voice activated. Go to speaking the blessing of God over you. Say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Get into the word of God and let the truth set you free. And I believe you're going to get stronger than horseradish as a result of this teaching. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these.